Good morning. Am I on? Can you hear me all right? Yes. Well, lovely to see you all this morning. So it was roughly uh, a year ago today that I uh, did my first preach, which was outside of the stage. And after disclosing my toilet habits and mentioning fleshy lusts, I wasn't sure if I'd get a second chance, but um, I'm here. Maybe they forgot. Uh, so I wasn't able to make the meeting where all the summer preachers gathered and divvied up um, the verses and the key themes of this Metamorphosis series. And if I'm honest with you, this would probably be my last choice. And this is a theme I wouldn't have chosen. Let me read them to you and I'll explain why. So the verse today is Philippians 4 verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. With the theme being, the world says only the strong survive, but the word says let your gentleness be evident to all. So firstly, Stuart and gentleness are not two words that normally go together. If I'm honest, I don't think I've ever been described as gentle. And I'm probably the least qualified to preach on this in this room today. But maybe that's the reason they give this verse to me. Give this one to Stuart so he goes away, does some reading and comes back a little bit more gentle. <laughs> so today's preach might sound like I'm talking to myself for large parts. But don't think you're getting off lightly. Because I plan to challenge us all here today and those you catching up on YouTube. If all goes wrong today, you can always go back on YouTube and check out Ollie Bradley's preach from last year, he, from the Tutti Fruity series, where he did an excellent preach on the fruit of the spirit gentleness. He's also got a much better accent than me. So, um, I don't quite qualify to preach on gentleness, but I also disagree with strength being an opposite of gentleness. I'll come on to this, but I just don't think it is. So just to recap, I didn't choose this verse. I'm the least qualified to preach on this subject, and I disagree with the key theme. So this is a strong start this morning. <laughs> If you're a visitor here today, I just want to clarify, it's not always like this. You just picked the wrong week. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to get a third time at this rate. So let's get into this and see if I can uh, redeem some shred of credibility that I have left. Uh, let's start with Jesus. That's normally a good place to start, yes? Right. If you've got your Bibles or open your phones, please turn with me to uh, John chapter 8, verse 1. So, John chapter 8, verse 1. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. She straightened up and said to them, Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those ahead began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, for me, this is Jesus showing his gentle nature. He could have done a number of things, with the, uh, things when the Pharisees bring the woman to him, but not only is his response to the lady gentle and kind, he shows some gentleness to the Pharisees. Jesus is not naive here. He knows that they're coming to trap him. He could have stood there, named all their sins, thrown stones at them, but instead he chose to quietly bend down and write in the sand and ask them to think about their own sin. I particularly like, it doesn't tell us what he wrote in the sand, my guess is he's writing the sins of the Pharisees to help them think about the sin in their own life, because obviously at this moment they've been blind to it. 
And for us in this story, just like how Jesus was gentle, it's a reminder that God is gentle with us. Even in our sin, he continues to love us. He does not keep record of wrongs, but offers forgiveness to those who come to him. Now, I could have read the story of Jesus and the lady at the well, or the lady who was healed um, when, t- when she touched Jesus' cloak, because I think these stories show gentle- Jesus' gentle nature as well. But I chose this one because I think it helps highlight gentleness is not weakness. Jesus, in his gentleness here, doesn't show any weakness. At the end of the story, when he asks the lady, has no one condemned you? And she replies, no one, sir. I think Jesus shows here a glimpse of how we transformed after we come to him. His response is, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So she's not condemned. Leave your life of sin is a clear, strong instruction. I've told you how to live your life. You know what is good and what is wrong. Go, leave your life of sin. This is not weakness. This is strength shown here. As a sidebar, maybe some of us here need to hear that. Maybe you've come to Jesus, but you've not left your life of sin, or you're still confirming to the, conforming to the pattern of this world. The whole theme of this metamorphosis series is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Let Jesus transform your mind. How? Well, spending time with Jesus is a good start, and maybe spending some time in the Bible is not a bad idea either. Back to gentleness, and Rick Warren, in his uh, series on the Beatitudes, said gentleness is not weakness, but gentleness is strength under control. And if you want some motivation to be gentle, one of the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meek here probably is better translated to gentleness. Most believe the world to be controlled by the strong and ambitious enough to take what they want. The world belongs to the rich, the dominant, and the bold. Jesus flips us around. He declares that they are the true inheritors of the earth, the gentle. So, I said at the beginning that I disagree with the statement that strong is the opposite of gentle. So what are some of the opposites? Harshness, roughness, impolite, inconsiderate, indecent, insensitive, all come up when you Google it. But when I think about it on a personal level, growing up, any time I was not gentle, my dad used to call me this loving name, a perfect name that uh, that perfectly sums up the opposite of gentleness. My dad would call me an oaf. (laughs) Yes, that's right, an oaf. For those of you, English isn't your first language, oaf is probably a term you haven't come across before. So let me explain. Oaf originates from the Old Norse language and was originally meaning elf child. That's okay. That's not too bad. It's not insulting. Maybe a little bit cute. No, no. As time progressed, the meaning changed and is now defined as an idiot child or a halfwit. Someone who is clumsy, unintelligent, or brutish. So brilliant. Thanks for that one, Dad. As much as I disagree with that description, if I'm honest with you, um, and I'm sure my lovely wife will agree, there are times in my life where I'm still an oaf. You'd have to nod that hard, all right? (laughs) But let's go back to our original verse. uh, Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be evident. Scripture here couldn't be more plain. I don't need to go into breaking this down into parts, making it simpler to understand. It's very clear. Let your gentleness be evident. And if I was to attempt to create the Stuart Cox International Translation of the Bible, I would probably translate this verse into, don't be an oaf. So that's what I thought we would do this morning. We're going to look at some ways we can let our gentleness be evident, or as I'm going to call it, biblical advice on how not to be an oaf. Sound okay? Good. Right, so the first area we're going to look at is uh, how we speak and the words we use. So as many of you know, I'm a football fan, and I support next year's Premier League champions, Manchester United. (laughs) I'm just going to claim that as prophetic now. 
For almost 27 years, Manchester United were managed by the undisputed uh, best football manager of all time, Sir Alex Ferguson. Now, even if you're not a football fan, I'm sure you'll be aware Sir Alex was renowned for his authoritarian style of leadership and was famous for his infamous hairdryer treatment he would give players who weren't performing. To explain hairdryer, he would shout so loud in the players' faces it was like hot air was coming out of his mouth. Sir Alex once said, I told them exactly the truth and the truth works. People used to say to me, leave it till Monday to talk to them. But I said I couldn't wait till Monday. So on a Saturday after the game, I told exactly how I felt because that was we trained at a level all week and I expected to win every game. Once after a loss, Sir Alexson, it was full flow of one of his hairdryer treatments, he gets angry and he kicks a boot across the changing room and it hits David Beckham, of all people, above the eye. Blood everywhere, stitches needed. Obviously, the media get hold of it and they love it. The way that he was managed was evident to all. In reading that Sir Alex quote and hearing the stories, I think you would agree that Sir Alex at times could be considered a bit of an oaf. But if we go back to the original theme that the world says only the strong survive, in Sir Alex's case, you, um, you'd probably argue that surviving as Manchester United manager and winning everything he did in the 27-year uh, period proves this point. And I think you'd probably be right. But let me ask you this. How many of the players on that end of one of Alex, Sir Alex's hairdryer treatments felt loved, cared for, uplifted, cherished? I wonder how many look back now with them points with fondness. I was saying this earlier this week. Don't punch people with truth. If you love your message more than you love your listeners, you'll always sound like you're shouting at them. Too many people walk around being, punching people in the face. And the truth is, no one likes to be punched in the face. <laughs> Hashtag be gentle. Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty with his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, in my attempt not to be an oaf, one of the things I'm still learning is thinking before I speak. And I'll give you an example of this. A couple of years ago, me and Charlotte were on FaceTime to Joe and Amy, not long after they moved to Paris. We were chatting to Amy, uh, explaining about, and she was explaining how hard she was finding things, issues with the kids' school, issues with the kitchen refit, some health issues, struggling with the language barrier, basically having a rough time with things. Now me, being the fool with hasty words, said something like, well, you made your choice, suck it up and get on with it. And at the time, <laughs> Amy said to me, wow, if I want brutal honesty, I know where to go. And I was quite proud of that, actually. I was thinking everyone needs a bit of brutal honesty sometimes. I couldn't see uh, the issue of my words. I think Amy has forgiven me now. <laughs> but Ephesians 4:29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who are listening. listening. My words to Amy were not wholesome or something that would build her up. Here's a better example, someone who's nailed down gentleness with their words. A couple of Sundays back, after the service had finished, I was on setup, and I knew we had a lot of classrooms to get ready for, the next, uh, for Monday. So I was on a mission to get the chairs stacked, get the tables in the rooms, get the hall hoovered. I was in full Sergeant Major mode. Ollie's nickname for me. Uh, when I was in the process of taking a stack of chairs into the Barnum room, or as it's called the quiet room on Sunday, uh, I nearly take out poor Claire Biggs. Um, <laughs> I nearly take out poor Claire. Claire just smiled at me and said to me, thank you for everything you do for the church, Stuart. Now it's my, not my intention to embarrass Claire here, um, but she didn't need to say that. Uh, especially after I nearly mowed her down with a stack of chairs. And I don't know if she realised it, but it meant so much to me in that moment. Proverbs 16:24: Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. In that moment, Sergeant Major Stew of the Oath Squadron was blessed by some kind words. <laughs> it also made me want to carry on doing what I was, uh, and do my job well. 
I think what we can learn about being gentle with our words is we need to remember to show gratitude to people who serve us, encourage those who are struggling, choose your words carefully, opt for gentleness over bashing people with your message. Let me ask you, are you gentle with your words? So moving on to the second part of my biblical advice, not how to be an oath, is how we are as a church or a community of saints and how we do disagreements well. As any of you know, no, so any of you were here a couple of weeks ago, you would have heard Joseph's brilliant preach on being of one mind and unity, and he talked about disagreement. To quote Joseph, he said, not all disagreement leads to conflict, but conflict always starts with disagreement, or something along those lines. Okay, so that's true. How do we stop disagreements turning into conflicts? I think gentleness is probably a big part of this. Let me explain using some childish humour, my favourite kind. Just go with this, okay? Opinions are like farts. Everyone else stinks, they are hard to hold in, and when you let one go, at least one person will leave the room. <laughs> now, I'm being facetious here, and we'll probably get told off using the word fart in my sermon, but disagreements also always start as a difference of opinion. There are two ways to manage your opinions. The oath will insist on this opinion being brought, make it loud, will not be challenged on it, and will get angry if they feel they're not listened to. Whereas a gentle person will choose when to share their opinion, if at all will be sensitive and diplomatic in how they do this, will accept that it may not go their way, but will not let this impact their emotions. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. There are stories of people leaving churches and getting really hurt because of what starts off as a difference of opinion on some really trivial things that lead to major conflict and actually become way bigger than the original issue. I'll tell you now, not everyone's going to agree on everything 100% of the time. We're all different, we're all unique, but what we can do is be gentle in our disagreements, recognising the person before the opinion. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. God wants us to be gentle with each other. Matthew 6.14-15 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let me ask you, have you been an oath in a disagreement? Do you, need to, uh, do you need to forgive someone for being an oaf? Please, Amy. Okay, moving on. So, my third piece of biblical advice on how, how not to be an oaf is with your children. Now, if you don't have any children, I've got a few I can lend out. <laughs> but seriously, if you're in this church, there are a lot of children in this church, so don't switch off. It takes a village to raise a child or something like that, it says. I quoted Rick Warren earlier when he said gentleness is strength under control. In a parent-child relationship, I think it's important to notice uh, that the parent, in most cases, is the strong one. I don't necessarily mean physically, as I'm sure some teenagers could overpower their parents, but I mean in terms of knowledge, understanding, wisdom, experience. If they're all listed on our top trumps card, parents would score higher. You may say there's a power imbalance. This is where the parents need to have strength under control. You don't want to be an oaf of a parent, overwhelming, but in the same breath, you don't want to be a parent with all the power who does nothing with it. To quote Focus from the Family, they say, gentleness in parenting is a strong hand with a soft touch. What does that look like? And this will vary for your own situation and your own children, but I expect some of the basics may include setting clear boundaries and enforcing them, speaking encouraging and uplifting words over your children, talking to them on a level they understand, having realistic expectations, all of these need to be done with a strong hand and a soft touch. I heard this quote somewhere once. If you worry about being a good parent, it means you are a good parent. And I think good parents will naturally show their gentleness in, with their children. 
predominantly with a strong hand and a soft touch. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Well, one of the instructions from the Lord is, let your gentleness be evident. But it's not just how you are with your children. Children are always watching. I've got another oath stew example here. If you didn't know, we had four kids, which means we have four kids' bikes. Then I have two bikes myself, but I've also saved two bikes from my older two have grown out of that my younger two will one day need. So basically, my little shed stuck through frames. It was one big bike mess. Now, my oafus approach is what you can expect from an oaf. I grab the bit of bike I could reach, and I pull, and I tug it. Get out! Get out! Like that. Getting more and more frustrated with the blooming bike. What I hadn't realised is Heidi, my daughter, was stood right behind me. She turned to me and said, Dad, stop. Do it gently. So we removed some pedals and carefully removed my bike. It slid out nicely. In this example, I was fortunate that Heidi has grown up enough to recognise her father's oafishness. But it's important to remember that children, particularly the young, are always watching. They imitate us from how we learn. The example we set as parents or adults in the church is really important. Let me ask you, are you showing gentleness to your children? Are you modelling gentleness well? Now, I could go on here and talk about several other aspects of your life. Gentleness in your marriage or your friendships gentleness in the workplace, gentleness in sharing the gospel, as these will all be worthwhile. But my, for my final piece of biblical advice on how not to be an oaf is to have a Muppet mate. That doesn't mean have a mate who's a Muppet, it's having a mate who can tell you when you're being a, a Muppet, or in my case, an oaf. The phrase Muppet mate was something we learned on the New, Green, New Ground Leadership Academy, sign up details in the weekly email. This was taught as part of the day looking at the life of David and the lessons we can learn from him. In 2 Samuel 11, we read the story of David and Bathsheba, where he commits adultery, gets her knocked up, concocts a plan to hide a sin, that fails, gets the husband murdered, then takes Bathsheba as his wife. I'm sure we could agree, not King David's finest hour, but what comes after this story in 2 Samuel 12 is a great example of a Muppet mate. Nathan, David's priest and friend, comes to David after finding out what he's done. Now, Nathan, at this point, could do a number of things, including telling him off, unfriending him, gossip about him, do nothing, ignore it. But instead, he decided to let David walk gently into his guilt by telling him a story. I'm going to read this story now. It's in 2 Samuel 12, 1 to 7. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for a meal uh, for the traveller who had come. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over, because he did such a thing that had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are this man. Nathan here is a sign of God's grace. Without someone who had the guts to show David his sin, he might have remained in his sin to dying day. A life steeped in unrepented sin turns sour over time. For me, I like to keep things simple, and my Nathan is Nathan. I've given Nathan permission to speak into my life and at any point call me a Muppet or an Oaf. I've charged him with keeping me accountable. Why Nathan? Well, because I know he will be consistent with me. 
he is for me and my spiritual growth. We have a good friendship and trust. And I expect him enough to say, if you're calling me an oath, I'm going to stop and listen. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice, accept discipline, and at the end you'll be counted among the wise. Let me ask you this, do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have someone who can call you out when you're being an oaf? If not, maybe it's start, time, it's start to think about who that could be for you, or who you could be for that person. Before I finish this morning, I want to look at the second part of that verse. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. What does Paul mean here? when he says the Lord is near. Well, I think there are three ways to read this. Firstly, the Lord is near. Do it, because God is watching. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good. Oh, sorry, that's Santa. But seriously, this should come as no surprise to us. Psalm 139, you searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. If we've given our lives to Jesus and we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds, maybe we ought to behave in a way that's pleasing to God. Or maybe the Lord is near can mean, be interpreted as near, meaning soon. Basically, he's coming back, or you're coming to him. If we're lucky, we get 80, 90, maybe 100 years on this earth. And when our time is done, we will meet God face to face. When you stand before the Lord Jesus, guilty of being an oaf, whether it's with your words, other people, your spouse, your children, or wherever, I'm pleased to say he's glad to forgive you. He would say, do not burden yourself. I'm here to take that burden. God's good is better than our bad. His grace is bigger than our sin. Can you? (laughs) Or maybe the Lord is here means physically near. God knows we need help. Far too often we do things in our own strength and trying to be deliberately gentle all the time for oafs like me is hard work. I need help, we need help. That's where accepting the Holy Spirit to come into your life is massively important. Now I think the Lord is near probably means all three of these things. But I really believe the Holy Spirit is here today. And I really want to end today's preach for praying for us all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to ask you to stand up if you can. Please close your eyes. Open your hands. Be ready to receive. I've asked some questions this morning about your lifestyle and I want to pray for us all now. So I'm going to pray and you can echo it in your hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, and for his perfect and blameless life. Thank you for the perfect example of gentleness he showed in his life. You created us to reflect your image and in doing so to bring you glory. We confess we fail to do this. Lord, I know there are times in my life where I have not been gentle and I want to confess them to you now. Thank you for your unfailing patience with us. Thank you for your gentleness with our stubborn and rebellious hearts. Galatians, you tell us that gentleness is a fruit produced by the Spirit at work in our hearts. Father, we ask your Spirit would develop and grow gentleness within us. We know we cannot bear fruit if we are not connected to you. So we come to you now, Jesus. Please, Lord, come and fill us up. 
Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let us leave here with softened hearts, walking in step with you. Please fill us now, we pray. Now, Joe and the band are going to play some songs, but if you want prayer this morning for anything, maybe it's related to gentleness, there's people here who will pray for you. If you want to be prayed for the Holy, be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's people who will pray for you. You can come to the front. Me and Charlotte will be welcome to, uh, to pray with you. Or just tap the person next to you. We've got time now. Don't leave here today without being filled with his Holy Spirit. He's here. Thank you, Jesus.